Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. How's everybody doing? We're awake, right? And if you fell asleep during that worship service, I don't know what we're going to do. So... These past few weeks, we've been sharing about the basic Christian doctrines. It comes from Hebrews 6, 2. It talks about that these are the foundational doctrines that uh, the Word of God lines out for us. So Scripture has dictated what these basic doctrines are. So the ones that we've covered already, we've covered the uh, repentance from dead works. We've covered faith towards God or in God. We've covered... Uh, the instructions about baptisms. We covered that last week. Remember, we said baptisms is in the plural form. So that means that it's more than one. So we covered those. If you missed it, check out that podcast thing. You can catch up. I'm not going to completely re-preach it today. So we, these are the basic, fundamental basics of, of, of the Christian system. So today we're going to look at the laying on of hands, Okay. So if we keep going on, the laying on of hands in Hebrews 6, 1 through 2, it says, and also the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So when we look at all six of these, these are the basic fundamental building blocks of a solid, basic biblical foundation. So we talked about why a foundation is so critical, because if we don't have a solid foundation, there's nothing else we can build on. Well, we can build on it, but it will not be established and it won't be firm and it could completely fall apart on you. The foundation is essential for everything else that we establish in our Christian faith. And, uh, you know, I've mentioned, you know, if anybody has ever built a home, you never put up the rafters and the walls and the roof without the foundation being established. I've heard horror stories of people taking shortcuts on the foundation and it never pays off in the long run. You guys wonder why there's a million and a half leveling companies? Shortcuts. So what we want to do, we want to establish a solid biblical foundation that will stand the test of time to where everything else that we grow and we we develop as a Christian is established on that foundation. As we grow and as we we study the Word, these foundation doctrines are woven through everything we believe. Everything. Right? So we just, uh, also when we talk about, you know, the, 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 the systematic way of breaking it down, if we look at repentance unto salvation faith towards God. These are the basics. So when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, that is the first step. We come to a place of repentance and we come to a place of faith. We got to have true repentance and we have to have true faith. And when those things come together, guess what? We have true salvation. So we're going through this process. And then what happens? We get saved and then what? Water baptism. Man, okay. So man, this thing's going in order, right? We receive salvation, water baptism. And then we talked a little bit last week, you know, about baptism of the Holy Spirit, that this is a gift that God has given us as far as the essential basics of what God wants us to have established so that we can ensure having a solid foundation and a successful Christian life. You know, I was listening to a song. You say, you know, God is, is the God of, of hills and valleys. How many of you know, if you've lived life long enough, you've got a few of those? You got, you, got the, you got the hilltop experiences and then you got where you kind of fell off in the ditch and you're like, God, what are you doing? God is faithful through every season of our life. And he uses those seasons in our life to grow us and to mold us and to shape us. And if we can survive in the valley experiences, man, we can glorify God on the hilltops. 
But just know that it's seasons of our life that we go through. But this is the process that God takes us to, the growing of our faith. It says to work out your faith with what? Fear and trembling. It's a process of of establishing what do we believe? What do we stand on? And once we establish those and and we make sure that our faith is unshakable, we begin to grow. You know, I know Christians that have been Christians a whole, a long time. You know, if, if, if you ask them a, a, just up front and you say, well, what do you believe? Well, I don't know. Go ask the pastor. It's not going to cut it, right? You need to know what you believe and to be able to communicate that back. You have to grow. When we grow, it glorifies the Father, right? So today we're going to look at the laying on of hands. So when we talk about, you know, the laying on of hands, for me, this is kind of a, a different topic, right? You know, because you have salvation, you have faith, repentance, baptism, laying on of hands. To me, this is the only one that kind of like is separate from like, why this is kind of a weird one to be just thrown in there. You know, if you were talking about sporting events, this would be something completely off the wall that doesn't meet like talk about basketball, you can talk about football, you can talk about all of these things, and then it would be just like throwing in there, hey, let's talk about stock markets. It does not fit. It's a little bit different, laying on of hands, but if he says that this is the basic elementary principle and it made the list, we need to understand what it means and what it represents and the importance of it, okay? So when we think of laying on of hands, this is something that we actually do on a regular basis and we don't even think about doing it. You know, when we greet someone, what do we, I I know I do, some people maybe don't, but man, I will shake their hand and I usually put my hand on their shoulder. Or if I got a close enough relationship with you, I might throw that hand out, I might just give you a hug, I'm putting hands on you. Now this is not talking about putting hands on you, right? The concept, I'm gonna put some hands on you. I'll get with you after church. Right. This, this, this is a spiritual thing of where the symbolism of what does placing hands on somebody represent? What does it do? Is there something magical about my hands? Absolutely not. But there is a symbolism of something that is happening that is super significant. There's always things that happen in the natural that are directly tied to the spiritual. And God asks us to be obedient in the natural and he takes care of the supernatural every single time. But it requires faith. For me to come up and get prayer and believe that when the elders place their hand on me, that I will be made well, that's a faith act. An arrogant act would be like, ah, I'll be all right. You're about to die, but I'll be all right. It requires faith to make those steps and to make those moves to place yourself in that configuration. It's faith applied, right? You know, I know that, I, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a physical person, you know, shaking hands, shoulder rubs. Sometimes I'm too hard. And, oh, you know, you know, it's like, hey, sorry, that's the way God built me. I, I place my hands on people a lot. You know, but just think about it. That's something we do on a regular basis. So when we think about, you know, in the church, why is it awkward or why is it different? Okay. You know, so... You know, in the Old Testament, we see Aaron and his sons placing their hands on the sacrifice, right? It says that they placed their hands on the sacrifice and then blood was shed. So what this always represented was a transference of sin to purification. That it was, it was, ta- it was taking that which was unrighteous and it was transferring the unrighteous sin 
sinful nature, and it was transferring it to that animal. And when, it was, when that blood was shed, it took the price. So if we, if we think about you know, placing on of hands, it's always a transference. It's always something that, uh, that often symbolizes transfer, transmittal, or a granting of special gifts. Okay, so like that's the context we're going to kind of establish so that we understand what is happening here. When we place hands on somebody, it's not just insignificant, but there's a great significance to it. So we think of laying on of hands, think of transferal of something. It's giving something, it's transferring something, it's not insignificant. So in order to transfer something to someone, you must also have it to give. Okay, so this is, this is a key component. You can't give somebody something they don't have or that you don't have, right? You know, so the resources have to be available. So if I'm going to give you a gift, I have to have the gift available. I can't give you a gift that I do not have. But if I possess that gift, I can transfer or give you that gift. I can transfer it from myself to you. But where do all the good gifts come from? From the Father above, from God alone. So it's not gifts that Noe has like, oh, Noe has all these secret gifts he didn't tell me about. But our Father God in heaven has an unlimited supply of gifts. And he uses people with hands to transfer those. We're just the people that he uses. God uses people. You know, and you know, I th- I th- you know all through scripture, this is consistent. He uses people to accomplish his purpose. And there was a time that guys did not submit and they weren't obedient, and, but God still used them, even in their ignorance, right? You know, so we talked about, you know, that hands, there's no mystical, magical component. I don't put on secret lotion, secret hand sanitizer, say, all right, I got the Jesus juice now. There's no significance here apart from the power of God transferring it through me. That's the difference. But my faith has to lie in God, not in my, myself, but the power of God is available. You know, these leaders or these men who you see placing their hands all through Scripture, you know, they were commissioned by God, releasing authority and jurisdiction for the work of ministry. You know, they spoke aloud, it was a blessing or it was a command. They placed their hands on them and then power was released. It was released through them. You know, so, so think about that. You know, if I'm declaring the promises of God or I'm declaring something... Even just that can be a bold statement. Because what if I'm making this statement, I place my hands on them, nothing happens. Scary, right? You're like, oh no. But we have to realize that all the pressure's on God. But he's just looking for willing men and women, is what it comes down to. But vessels that he can, he can flow through. He wants pure, righteous vessels. Ones that are truly repentant, faith-filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit so that you might lay hands on people and they might recover. He wants clean vessels. I think sometimes when it doesn't work out, maybe that vessel that God's so willfully wanting to use is corrupted or dirty or fleshly. And I th- but I've seen God use that also, you know, and that's, where, that's kind of the concept where you kind of scratch your head. You say, how in the world... Can you use somebody like that? You ever done that? You look and you see, you know their life, you know their lifestyle, and God still chooses to use unclean people every single day. So if we take it to the next layer, we have to realize that what? 
we are all sinners in need of grace. We are all fallen apart from the grace of God. So just because we think we are clean, we may not. But it's God that looks into the heart. He's the one that searches out those things in our heart. You know, so this morning, you know, man, if, if you desire to function in a, in a strong capacity as far as the, the authority and the gifts of God be flowing through you, we have to say, God, test and search my heart. See if there's anything in me that's not pure or not right or not holy. I don't want to get in the way of what you want to do. Because I think we can do that if we're not careful. Matthew 10, we're going to look at verse 1, and then we're going to jump down to 6 through 8. It says, in verse 1, it says, He called the 12 disciples and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Verse 6, it says, Go to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go preaching the message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. Let's say I want to transfer you money. So I look at my bank account and there's a big fat zero. Can I transfer you funds if I do not have the funds available? Won't work, right? You have to have it available in order for, us to, for me to give it to you. I can go talk to the bank and say, hey, please, can I? you ain't got it. But when we freely receive something, Let's say somebody wrote a million-dollar check. Now I have a million dollars in that bank account. I guess if you don't know I have a million dollars in my bank account, you won't ask for a million dollars, but it would give me the potential for whatever you ask. Guess what? I can now give because I've received it. Now I can give it. This is a principle that I think God teaches us. You know, how can we give something we have not yet received? How can we minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit if we've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I think you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to give the Holy Spirit. I can't give you something that I haven't received myself. But freely I have received, freely I give. And if we would really tap into how much we've received, man, there's so much we can give. But we look at ourselves, we don't look at what Christ did in and through us. Because we got to understand that Jesus is directly tied to the Father. He takes from the Father, gives to the Son, and the Son gives to us. So there's an unlimited supply that comes from Father God. But we tend to just look to see what really we have in our hands, which is really hardly anything of value. But we have to tap into those things that are of the Spirit that have been given by God through Jesus for our benefit and for the benefit of others. James 1.17, it says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. John 14.13, it says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. When we receive blessings in this lifetime, it glorifies God. It brings glory to God. You know, especially those things that God gets all the credit. It's not just like, man, look what Noah did. He was able to work that because he's gifted or he's talented. I'm talking about the unmerited things that I couldn't do anything apart from the grace of God, where only God can receive glory. 
I can't fill myself with the Holy Spirit. I can't conjure it up. That gift only comes from God. But once I receive that, and I begin to function in that, and I begin to work in that, and I take what I've received, and I begin to give it to others, man, this gift that God gave me, I'm giving it to others, and then those people are giving it to other people, and God is being glorified here on the earth by our obedience in giving what we've received. But we're stingy people. We want to say, man, God, what you gave me, I'm holding it. I don't want to give it to anyone. I'll, I'll do it, Lord, if it takes care of my family or my household or my comfort. But God forbid you ask me to give something that's a sacrifice. But God is calling us to radical obedience. Everything that he gives us, it's not for our benefit. We benefit, but the focus is not for our benefit. It's so that others might receive the free gift that I got. Man, I don't want to get to heaven and and people say, you know, be at the Golden Gates, and I'm going in, and somebody's saying, wait, man, how come you didn't tell me we could have went to this place? How come you didn't tell me how to get in? Because I was selfish, or scared, or worried about what people think. I was talking to a, to a gentleman at the uh, men's breakfast. He said, well, I talked to this young man about something, and he asked me, he said, well, I hope he wasn't offended or I hope he didn't get mad. I said, man, buddy, I'd rather him be mad now and make it to heaven than mad later and he goes to hell. I mean, that's radical, right? You know, it's like, we got to be gentle. We got to be careful how we say it. But man, you know, we got to understand that every single day lives are being lost and people are going to hell. And very, it says that, that, that the gate is narrow. Very few find it. But how about if I show them where it is? It's not up to their ability to find it. I show them where it is because I found that treasure. But because I've received it, I can give it. Even if you don't even know how to explain it, you can still give it. Ah, let me just tell you what happened to me. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a, I hear it all the time. I don't know how to communicate. I'm a horrible communicator. Well, I am too, but by the grace of God, I can speak well. Because in my mind, sometimes it gets all jumbled around, and then I hear how it comes out. I say, that's only by the grace of God it came out that clear. And sometimes, every now and then, my wife will give me a call and say, man, you spoke really good today. It was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't me, because I've messed it all up, right? In that order of how I communicate. But I say, God, help me to communicate well. Help me to communicate effectively so that what I have, I may give to others. But my heart as a pastor of this church is not for us just to benefit but that we take it outside these four walls and give it to the world so that all may benefit what we have. Father God, is, has, he gives great gifts to those who are called according to his purpose. So everyone who has entered into his kingdom as a son or daughter of the king, you have entered into that purpose. And he gives you whatever gifts you need. And sometimes even those things that you just want. My sister-in-law, Laura, was talking to me this week, and uh, she's been asking me for an iPad for a long time. I didn't say no. I didn't say yes. I didn't say anything. But when you don't say anything, that means no, right? She told me this week, and I, I listened to you. She said, I got tired of waiting on me, I guess, or somebody to give me an iPad. She says, so I decided to ask God for an iPad. So before that happened, she told me, she says, 
did you buy me an iPad case? And I was like, I didn't buy you an iPad case. I don't know. It came Amazon mail to the doorstep. You know, so she's like, this is great. I got an iPad case. No iPad. We're 25% there, right? You know, carry it around, pretend it's there, but it wasn't there. But she asked God for an iPad. I don't know if it was a few days later or how. Same day. The iPad showed up and God blessed her with it. Because every single good and perfect gift comes down from Father God. And if I would have gave it to her, I would have robbed her of letting her ask God for it. Thank God I was hard-headed for that, to benefit you. Life lessons, right? God is good. We can even ask for those things that we want sometimes, and he'll give them to us. But we limit God because we're limited in our understanding. But as we receive, we can give. So if we look at the scriptures, you know, there's, there's really three different applications for the laying on of hands. Okay, so if we look at, look at the concepts, you know, laying on of hands was used for imparting blessing, authority, and healing. So there, it was always kind of an impartation or a commissioning. So if we, if we kind of break it into these two, two ideas, you know, so imparting a blessing, authority, and healing. So that's one. Imparting of the Holy Spirit and then commissioning of ministers. Okay, so we're going to look at Scripture, and we're going to cover it kind of quick. I'm going to kind of try to summarize some of the stories just for the sake of time and context. But so, the, so if, we look, if we break it into those, in 2 Timothy 1.6, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That's the phrase we're looking for in every single one of these Scriptures for the laying on of my hands, right? That gift that was given to you. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Fan into flame the gift of God. So in this scripture, which, which reference do you think it's talking about? If we were just guess. Was it healing? Maybe not. Receiving the Holy Spirit, right? You guys have ever tried to start a fire? And if you start with big old logs, you got to put so, so much fuel on there to get it. But if you will start with small kindling and you'll kind of fan it into flame, man, that begins to grow. But this, there's a process to that, right? Fanning into flame is a process. You just don't throw it in there, throw one match on it and say, oh, look. No, man, you got you to kindle it. You got to work. You know, but what happens? You know, it starts to flame up and then you can put little, little smaller sticks you know, some of the smaller brush, and then once it gets up and roaring, man, you can put, put, put big logs on there. But what happens if we quit feeding that fire? It goes out every single time. So, so there's a process as far as feeding ourselves so that, that's, that that Holy Spirit can be blazing every season of our life. we got to continue to put in the effort and feed ourselves the fuel that we need to allow that to, to fan into flame. So the first thing we're going to look at, so we have to fan into flame. We have to remember these gifts that were given to us by the what? Laying on of hands. So the first thing, imparting blessing, authority, and healing. So Genesis 48. So this is the story of Israel. He's, he's blessing Genesis 48. So if you want to note that, you can go back and read it later. I'm just going to give you some kind of nuggets of the story. So Genesis 48, this is when Israel blesses Joseph's sons. So Manasseh is the oldest firstborn. And then we have Ephraim, who is the younger son. So every time, you know, that there was a blessing, you know, this was a big deal. 
You know, when you received a blessing, it was something that you gave and you can't get it back. You can't transfer it. Once it's yours, it's yours. So what happens? The older son is coming forward and the younger son. And they always symbolize, you know, when you, if you're blessing two, the favored one or the, the one that was going to lead always was on the right hand. You know, so what happened? Uh, Joseph was bringing his son, the oldest one to the right and the younger one to the left. So right before he places his hands on him, he does a little switch Rooney, <laughs> And instead of going right and left, left and right, he crosses his hands and he puts his right hand on the younger son. And Joseph kind of gets flushed. He's like, oh, hold on, man. My older son, he's the older one. You're messing it up. And he says, no, because the younger one is going to be greater. So it was prophesied. It was seen. But there was symbolism of that setting apart that placing hands on, and it was, it was kicking into motion a gift and a calling and a plan and purpose in their lives, right? So there was always that symbolism of placing hands. Man, we do it on, on our kids all the time. Man, they're sick or something. Well, put your hands on, let's pray for them. You know, put hands on them. You know, it's something we do on a regular basis. So imparting, you know, blessing. This, this was a blessing type of placing hands on. You know, when we look at one, another Numbers 27, 18 through 20. So this is when the Lord speaks to Moses. He says, take Joshua, son of Nun. And he, he says, a man in whom is, is the spirit and lay your hands on him. So this was an imparting of authority. So you mean you can impart authority? Absolutely. You know, I think of, you know, the Knights of the Round Table when he kind of did the sword thing, hey, now rise a knight. They placed authority, and now, hey, if this guy says it, you better treat it just like I said it. That's what was happening in this story when it says, take Joshua and place your hands on him. Have him stand before Eliezer, the priest, and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. So I don't know what that looked like. Hey, come up here, right here. You see this guy? This is what we're doing. I'm placing my hands on him. I'm, I'm imparting authority into his life. The gift that I have, the authority I have, I also give you, is what he was saying. In that verse 20, it says, give him some of your authority by the laying on of hands. Then if we go to Deuteronomy 34, 9, it says, now Joshua, so this is a little bit later, son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom, dot, 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 because Moses had laid his hands on him. Hmm. So there's something significant about the placing on of hands. It wasn't just that he said it and nothing happened. It says that, that you, you begin to see that he was filled with wisdom and understanding and knowledge and authority because Moses had laid his hands on him. We look at Mark 16, 17 through 18. This is an imparting of healing. You know, we've talked about this as in my name... They will place hands on the sick people and they will get well. They will get well. It doesn't, it doesn't say that, well, maybe if their faith is strong enough, maybe if they do it just right. It says that they will recover. You know, and the biggest uh, challenge is the timing. We, we assume and we think that it has to happen right then. But only God dictates that. I think there's moments where you receive a healing right now, you know, then uh, 
There's other stories of Nahum when he goes and he, he has to dunk, dunk himself seven times before it happened. It was a process. It wasn't an immediate, but it was a response and it was, there was a time frame required. But it says that they shall, they will be made well. In this life or the next, I don't know, but I know it's in God's plan to bring Father God glory to heal in this lifetime. It glorifies the Father every single time. Why would God not want to do it? It comes down to faith sometimes. Sometimes we don't believe it'll happen. And that's when the God formula messes everything up, right? Sometimes when you don't have faith, when sometimes you're not expecting, you're sitting there minding your own business. Hey, I know you can't walk, but hey, get up for a minute. What? The guy stands up, expecting anything. So that's when the God formula messes up a systematic theology type process. You're like, well, he didn't, he didn't ask him, do you want to be made well? He didn't respond. God just did it. That's because God can do what he wants. And we got to get to that place of where we allow God to do what he wants, but we're willing every single time to be obedient to his word, place hands on them and pray a prayer in faith, believing that they shall be made well in support of his word. I might not understand it. I might not necessarily, you know, I, I know a lot of the people who really minister in the prophetic or in the healing, you know, you hear stories all the time. It's like, I didn't really understand it. I just began to do what the word of God said and I saw a response. I just challenged God at his word, not that I understood all of it. It says, they will recover. James 5, 14 through 15, it says, if anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make that sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. So he doesn't just heal them. He forgives them also. But think about the faith process in that. First, you know, and we see a lot of people sadly respond to God the last, at the last moment. After the doctors can't do anything or they've been diagnosed to the point of saying, hey, you just got a little while left to live. And then we kind of pull the ding dong God, God bell and say, hey, at this moment in my life, now I need you. As Christians, it is a disservice to God to go to God last. People of the church, Christians, have to go to God first. And if the doctors want to say something after, that's okay. But to honor God, we go to God first. You know, but the quickest thing we want to do, you know, uh, if there's any doctors, nurses, or anything, I'm not, I'm not discrediting what you do and what you offer. Praise God for it. But as the church, we have to stand on the promises of God first and foremost. Foremost. Now, if he says, hey, go to that doctor, he has the cure, buddy, you better do it. Because he still uses people. You know, but our hope and our trust must rely fully on God rather than the doctor. Whose report will you believe? You know, I, I know we get, we get stuck in that position sometimes like, well, God says I'm going to be healed. Doctor says I'm going to die. Two kind of conflicting statements here, right? One extreme to the other. And I was hearing a, hearing a story and a testimony. It says, you know, uh, two people talked to a minister and one man immediately believed the, the, the word of faith and the word of healing and, and received their healing. And the other one, you know, the, the minister was trying to talk to that and said, man, you know, this is what the word of God says. And it says that, you know, yes, pastor, I believe, I understand that, you know, immediately received the healing. The other person, same pastor, same God, same everything, right? Just the person was different. 
And then they were just trying to encourage him by the word and said, hey, you know, the word of God says, you know, in faith says, well, I understand, pastor, but the doctor said, hey, reality check, shake them up. Hey, but the word of God says, well, you know, but the doctor said, if you will not receive the word of the Lord, you'll never receive in faith what God has designed for you to receive. If we believe the report of the world rather than the report of God. Whose report are you going to believe? Word of God says I'll be made whole and healed by God in this lifetime. I won't need it later. I promise. I got to survive this lifetime. This is when the healing is needed. And it's all around us. Whose report will we believe? So, placing on our hands for impartation of blessing, authority, and healing. We have all three of these. So, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't say, you know, I was looking through all the Gospels. There was many times, you know, it says that that, that first that, that passage I opened up with, Matthew 10, 1, and then 6 through 8, it says, you know, go cast out demons, heal the sick, every disease, those who have leprosy. It doesn't state that they placed hands on people, but this was a practice that happened even in the Old Testament. I believe that there was already placing on of hands. Demonic spirits, it's like, okay, freed. There was placing on hands, I, I believe, more often than not. Now, every single one of these scriptures are not going to say they place their hands on them. But if we look at all the scriptures that support it, why would they not have? You know, it says just anoint with oil, but... I can anoint with oil, but it also says that as I place hands on them, so as an elder, can I put oil on you and I can place my hands on you? Absolutely. Is it recommended? Probably. Don't just... All right, be healed, right? Let's place our hands on them because it's a biblical principle that God honors. In my name, they will place their hands on the sick people and they will get well. It supports Scripture. So Acts 8, 14 through 17. So this is the impartation of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We just talked real loosely about, you know, uh, all, the, all the disciples, you know, that they would place hands on people and they receive the Holy Spirit. But in this, in this passage, Acts 8, 14 through 17, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, so that means they were saved, they repented, they, they received faith, they sent Peter and John to them. So they sent the disciples to check it out. In verse 15, it says, When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit... Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had, they had been saved. They believed to faith. They were water baptized. But they did not receive that second baptism we talked about last week, which was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, it says, Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Why, did they, why were they able to place their hands on them and, and give them the Holy Spirit? Because they had received the Holy Spirit. What they have received, they could freely give every single time. It's a biblical principle. What I have, I can give. If I don't have it, I can't give it. Acts 9, 17, you know, we talked a little bit, Saul on the road to Damascus with Ananias. It says, then Ananias went into the house and entered, placing his hands on Saul. Once again, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, uh, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you might see again and be filled by the Holy Spirit. 
And it says he placed his hands on him. And this happened again. So we had two miracles happen here. We had healing. His eyes were healed. He could see again. He was also baptized with the Holy Spirit at the same time. That's like a supersized special. Man, he worked it out. Yes, Lord, I'll take that too. You mean a free apple pie with it? Yes, I'll take that. Right? It's one of those things, man, God just works way beyond what we think sometimes. So over and over again, all through the book of Acts, we see that hands were placed on individuals and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I was thinking about this. I said, well, if I haven't received it, how can I give it? So the one time, you know, that I would think that it would be implied where the hands would not be placed on them in Acts 2, 1 through 14, it says that, and, and at that time, the Holy Spirit poured out, was poured out and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, who, who placed their hands on them if the Holy Spirit hadn't been given? At that moment, the, the Holy Spirit baptized them. But then they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that they could baptize others in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had to kick it off. So it says that he, that he came down and he rested on them as, as flames of fire over each of them. So over their head, if you want to say that, hey, that was the Holy Spirit placing his hands on them, that's what happened. The Holy Spirit baptized them in the Holy Spirit. Can you do that? It's the best authority there is. Holy Spirit's just like God. It's no greater name, right? So once they received, they could freely give. So impartation of the Holy Spirit. So after this experience, the disciples had freely received the gift of the Holy Spirit, so now they could give the Holy Spirit. Matthew 10, 8. Freely you have received, now freely give. So the third phase is commissioning of ministers. So we see this sometime in the church. Uh, you know, we're sending somebody off on a mission trip, things like that. We bring them forward, we place their hands on them, and we send them out. So Acts 13, 1 through 3. So it says, uh, in, in the church of Antioch, there were, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, Lucius, Manan, and Saul. Verse 2, it says, they were there worshiping the Lord and fasting. So make sure we capture everything that's going on. They just didn't place their hands on them insignificantly, place their hands on them, send them off. There were some seriously spiritual things happening in amongst this moment of them commissioning people into the works of service, into the works of ministry. So I highlight that to make sure that we understand that placing people in ministry or setting people in offices within the church, it's not something that we can take lightly. And we just don't say, hey, man, you're a good one. All right, you come on. And man, we don't do it loosely. It has to be where God places in those offices. Okay, so it says that they, they, they were worshiping. Man, that's a good thing. They weren't just worshiping, but they were fasting also. Right? It says, and then the Holy Spirit said. So if the Holy Spirit says it, you can probably bank on it, right? So it says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I had called them. And then in verse 3, it says, So then after they had fasted and prayed, so the Holy Spirit had could have said it, and they could have done it right then, but it says after they finished fasting and praying. So they're fasting, they're praying, they're worshiping, they hear from the Holy Spirit and say, man, that's right on. You guys hear that? I heard that. You heard it? Okay, let's keep praying and fasting to verify that that's what the Holy Spirit said. They don't want to make a, a wrong move here, Right? They want to make sure they heard the Holy Spirit. After they prayed and fast, they were all in agreement. They said, man, this is the word of the Lord. We're, we're, we've heard from the Holy Spirit. We're all on, in agreement. So then they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. It was a commissioning of ministers, right? 
So if we look at Acts 6, 1 through 7, so this is the choosing of the seven. So this is, you guys have ever heard of deacons in the church? So like this is kind of where that idea of deacons come from, but it's a, a deacon in its original meaning is, is just really the word servant. It's not something, you know, that it's, it's just, and really in this church, we've never, well, I never have established formalized deacons, but they're all around us. We just haven't formally placed them in those positions, but they serve faithfully. And whatever we ask of them, they would do it. They do stuff we don't ask all the time. Right? So this is, what, this is, what, this is kind of the focus. So it says, the, the main reason, you know, that deacons are in existence to help the church grow, in the, you know, to help with the growth of the church. Because in this passage, it talks about how the widows were being overlooked. All the affairs of the church, there was too much for just the, the leaders, those who were focusing on, on spreading the word, preaching the gospel. They couldn't focus on meeting the practical needs of the church either, like to do both. You know, they would be torn. They wouldn't be able to preach fully or prepare fully. So they would be say, well, I mean, it would be like me showing up saying, you know what? I got a five minute message for you because I didn't have time to prepare because I was doing all of, you know, the deacon work also. But because we have people that are functioning as deacons, I don't have to worry about all that. I can give myself fully to the preparation of the word, not saying I don't do anything else around the church because I like to work. Sometimes I got to throttle back. Right. But because those those offices are in place, it allows us to focus on the word. So what did they do here? They says, you know, they were able to find seven and they presented these men before the apostles. You know, so they found they, they found ones that were full of the Holy Spirit character, all of these things. There was a criteria. There's always a criteria. And if you don't know what that criteria is to be an elder, to be a deacon, to be a pastor, it's all in here. It's not something that we're making up. It's something that's established by the word of God. So it says they found, you know, you know, seven men who met that criteria. And it says that they brought these men to the apostle who prayed and laid their hands on them. They commissioned them into that place of ministry in the office of a deacon. Right. So commissioning for the work of ministry. You know, so laying our hands on pastors, elders, deacons, you know, in, in the biblical model, it releases a grace gift for those individuals being commissioned in those offices they are holding. Because depending on the office that you hold, you need different type of grace. To be a pastor of a church, you've got to have different kind of grace. If you're going to be a deacon, there's a specific grace that you need. If you're going to be an elder, there's a specific grace that you need. And when we place our hands on those people, we are releasing them by the grace of God to be effective for the work of ministry because we know that each of those people are going to need it. But it's something that God gives and God releases through the power of his Holy Spirit through the function of placing on hands every single time. You know, we, uh, man, babies, offering babies. Like there, there's, there's, so many, there's so many times where we place hands on people. You know, uh, I think in our spirit, even sometimes if we place our hand on, man, kids run by me all the time and I place my hands on them. And I think every time I do that, my spirit says, bless them, cover them, protect them. That's what my spirit says. Now, sometimes I, I'm not thinking in a spiritual act. I'm just placing, I love people. But that act of placing hands, of transferring something to them, a hedge of protection, Lord a grace to be all that you've called them to be. There's significance every single time we do that. Parents, when you hold your babies, Zach, right now, speak life over her. 
that she'd be all that God has called her to be. We commission her to be all that God has called her to be. It's that significant. But we don't do it very often, or maybe we don't know why we're supposed to do it. It's something we have to teach and something we have to develop. And you have to know that it's available. Right? Well, what can I give, Noe? Whatever you've received. Well, what have I received? Ask God about that. It'll blow your mind. So much more than you know. So much more. 1 Timothy 4.14, it says, Do not neglect your gift, which was given, given to you through the prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Don't forget what you've received is what it's saying. Man, I know... Uh, I, need to, I guess I need to learn to pace my run instead of a sprinter. I've never been built a sprinter, and I have to learn as a pastor of a church to, to find a nice little groove. Because I, I really think, man, out of the gate, Becky and I, man, have been booking it. And every day, when we, you know, and I got to learn to rest. But I can't remember, I got to remember the grace when, when they placed their hands on me and they said, you know, you rest in the Lord, you allow the Lord to be your strength. All these things come back as far as the gift that God gave me as I was commissioned into this place of ministry that I would learn how to run well. You know, long runners, they run gracefully. If you run reckless, you're not going to last long. You're going to waste more energy than it's worth. What's the matter? Out of breath. But there's a grace given to each of us. Even just within salvation that God has given us. You know, we have prayer teams that come up here and agree with you and pray for you. And there's something that happens when our hands touch you. As conduit, as we take from God and He gives to you. He uses people. Don't judge the person. And say, I can't go get that person to pray for me. I know too much about their life. And miss out on what God really wants to give you. Have I ever told you guys the story of when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Real quick. It's a rabbit trail, but I think it's good. We were at youth camp. They were talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I mean, I just I felt the power of God over me. And there was, there was a real good friend of mine. I knew how he lived. And I said, man, this kid. But he got baptized in the Holy Spirit before me, so my religious mind is like, God, how the heck did you just do that? This kid, I judged him. I knew how he acted, but yet he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I said, that ain't right, God. You're going to use somebody like that, and you're going to fill them, but you ain't going to fill me. But I was fighting because I'm trying to fight. God's really working on me. I'm fighting myself. I don't realize it. I'm just looking at this other, other kid, and... And man, I just, I started praying. I said, well, God, I want that. Well, guess what happened? God used that sorry kid to come and place his hand on me to fill me with the Holy Spirit. But why? Because what he received, he could give, even though he was in the process of being transformed by the goodness of God. But I thank God that he used somebody who had a gift to give that gave me the gift so that I could be, stand here today and give you the same gift. Because if I wouldn't have received, I can't give. And when I start running out, I can say, God, give me more because I'm, I'm at the end of myself. And then he says, son, don't you know that I'm the giver of all the gifts and you're just handing out everything I'm handing you. 
It's not that you have anything to give. What you have to give is insignificant. But if you continue to pull from the treasures of heaven and begin to disperse them here on the earth, we'll have an abundance. You guys realize about three minutes ago, I quit preaching and something else took over. It's amazing when I get off my notes, right? But I got to teach also. So this morning, God is walking around this place with good gifts. And he wants to give. But you've got to be willing to take those in to receive them. 1 Timothy 5.22, it says, Do not be hasty in a hurry in the laying on of hands. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. And I kind of struggled. I was like, oh, man, this is a deep passage. Lord, what do I, should I share it even if I don't understand it really? Don't be in a hurry to set people in place into offices. Don't, don't, don't play around with other people's sins. What is this talking about? When I touch somebody, there is a significant thing that happens. So I said, okay, God, show me a little bit more. Then he showed me Luke 8, 40 through 48, the, women, the woman with the issue of blood. He was walking through a crowd. He was hard-pressed on all sides. He was walking through, and then he stops mid-walk, and he says, hey, who touched me? The disciples are mind-boggled because they said, what do you mean, Lord? Everybody's touched. He said, no, something happened. Somebody touched me, and when there was a physical contact, power went out of Christ. Through physical contact, says, no, somebody touched me, and I felt power come out from me. And, and the woman humbled herself and said, it was me. Because I knew that if I would just touch the hem of your garment, I would be forever changed. She pursued it, but there was a physical contact. And it wasn't necessarily Jesus laying her hands on her, but she placed her hands on him and was forever changed. I think it caught Jesus off guard, man. What do you mean? You're God. You know who touched you. I promise. You know everything. Sometimes that process messes up our theology. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. Just go ahead and invite the prayer team up this morning. Morgan, you can come up. Trey. This morning, whatever you have need of, God has it. Do you hear me? Whatever you have need of, God has it. Our leaders might not have it, but they will be the conduit to release it to you this morning. And we'll, we'll, we'll ask God. And because it brings glory to the Father, according to His will, they will be released in your life. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.